You're listening to Tell It from Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by our senior pastor, Dr. Abraham Joseph. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here's today's message. This morning we are uh, continuing in our foundation series on the stories that form us. Uh, Big picture stories that give us the context and the framework for understanding the scriptures. The first week we looked at the story of scripture, how all of scripture comes together to tell the story of creation, redemption, and one day the renewal of all creation. And we were reminded that we find ourselves in that story because we still wait the renewal of all creation. And the second week, we looked at the story of our God, the God of the Bible, the God of the scriptures, who is the creator, who is the redeemer, who is the one who will renew all things, and that he is one God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This morning, we come to the third of four sermons on the church. What is the church? Why is it here? And then finally, in the fourth week of February, Lord willing, we will look at ourselves. Who are we? as the people of God, individually and collectively. Who does God say we are? We sing that song that I am who you say I am, but who does he say we are? Uh, those are the, the sermons before us. Let's go to God in prayer before we look to his word. Father, we thank you this morning for this glorious privilege to come before you to hear from your word. Uh, we are not worthy. Um, I certainly am not adequate, uh, but Lord, thank you that we can come to you and even as the song say, pray that, that you would assist me to proclaim your word in the power of your spirit, that I'll be true to your word, and I pray that your spirit would be at work in all our hearts to receive that word, to grow us in faith, to grow us in obedience, and for today's word, to grow us as the church that truly exists here as according to your purposes for it, to be on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our case, as Calvary, to engage the city and impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are looking at the story of the church. Well, what is the church? For sadly, for many people, it's a a place you go to, a building where you gather, uh, a place we do great things like worship and serve service, serve others, and uh, and fellowship with one another, uh, but we still see it as a place. This is betrayed by uh, statements such as, I am going to church. Will you come to church on Sunday? Uh, there are other ways we look at which are not quite accurate. Uh, we, we see the church as just another social or religious institution, or as, a, as an activity, or as a denomination. Well, at least the pandemic has helped us to see that the church ought to be more than a building because if it was a building, and in our case, for other reasons as well, uh, we don't have a church, but the church is more than a building. So what is the church? Where did it come from? Why is it here? How would we describe the church as uh, scriptures identify it? The answers to all of these questions are not only important for our information and for our understanding, but more importantly for our existence, for our activity, our mission. If we go wrong with these answers, we are no longer being the church. Instead, we would become like any other social entity in this world, and there are many of them. So how would you describe a church? Uh, Well, it's the same way as we would describe a person. There's one of my uh, favorite people at, in Calvary. So if somebody comes to me and, and tells me, tell me about Jim. If I say, oh yeah, he's the chairman of the elders, uh, I'd be right. Oh, he's a, a chemistry professor at NYU, I'd be right. But is that all that we know about Jim? Is there more to him? Yeah, see? <laughs> ah, they talk back to us, very good. <laughs> um, so there's more to Jim. We can't speak of Jim without speaking of his background. Uh, uh, we, we can tell people what he looks like, and we talk about his characteristics. Uh, we can speak of what he does, 
And then, because he's a believer in Jesus Christ, we can uh, tell, uh, tell others why he is here as well in his role in, in, in life. So that's the same way we would approach the story of the church. We need to speak of the history or the origin of the church. We need to speak of uh, biblical descriptions of the church. What, how do the, church, the scriptures describe the church? What, what are the characteristics of the church? What are the marks of the church? How do you identify the church? What is it that the church does? What are the activities of the church? And then most importantly, why, why is the church here? Uh, what is its purpose? What is its mission? How, who gets to decide? So this morning, let's start, start our story of the church by looking at its background. When I look at its background, we have to look at the prehistory of the church as well. So when we speak of Jim, for example, uh, we can speak of Jim's history as beginning with his birth. But that's not the beginning of Jim. There's a prehistory. Jim has parents. Uh, Jim grew up in a place. He grew up in a certain era. Uh, we need to speak of all of those things in order to understand who he is. And so also with the church. The church has a history, but it also has a prehistory that goes all the way back to creation. We saw when we did our first sermon, the story of scripture, that God's purpose in creating humans was for them to multiply and fill the face of the earth. And since he has made them in his image, the face of the earth will be covered with image bearers of God, living as God's wise regent. And they will be flourishing, not, with, not only within the human race, but all of creation as they tend to creation as, uh, as God's wise regents. So that was the mandate given to humankind to spread all over the face of the earth, to, to flourish for the glory of God. But we also know that the first couple disobeyed God's command and they incurred God's judgment. But hope's not lost. In the midst of that judgment, God promises that a seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. God will redeem his sinful creatures and he will restore all creation and he will do that through the seed of a woman. God's purpose for creation is not abandoned. We, the human race continues on in its course of sinfulness so that God looks down and, and regrets that he has created man. And God destroys all of creation through the flood except for that one man and his family. And we know that God has not abandoned his creation because he blesses Noah with the same blessing that he blessed Adam and, and he gives them the same command to multiply and fill the face of the earth and bring about flourishing. But even as Adam sinned in the garden, Noah sins in the vineyard and the human race continue on in its course of sinfulness. When we come to Genesis 11, all the nations are rise up in defiance against God and they were going to make a name for themselves by being together instead of dispersing as God had commanded them. God dismantles their tower and their plans and confuses their language and disperses them over the face of all the earth. But how will God gather all these nations to himself? And that story begins in Genesis 12 with the calling of one man. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham. Joshua identifies him as, a, as, as an idol worshiper from across the river. So Abraham is not called because of who he is, but in spite of who he is. And God blesses Abraham, as we see in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Not, and God not only blesses Abraham, but promises that in him, in his seed, all the nations will be blessed. Abraham is blessed not just for his sake, but for the sake of the world. Because through his seed, God will gather the nations and bless them. God raises a nation out of Abraham, Israel, and he brings them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt into the promised land through, through great and mighty deeds that demonstrate to all the nations that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is indeed the God of all nations. God blesses Israel, but again, not just for the sake of Israel, but for the sake of the nations. God calls Israel from the nations to be a holy nation. They are commanded to be holy, for the Lord their God is holy. They were to distinguish themselves from other nations by their worship of the one true God, by their obedience to his word, by their moral and ethical conduct, 
They were to be a just society where the least among them were cared for. It was through their worship, their obedience, their care for one another, and even the alien in their midst, that they would demonstrate to the rest of the nations that they were God's own people. God's holiness will be demonstrated in their life, in all aspects of life, of life, and they will be a beacon of light to the nations that lived in the darkness of idolatry and injustice and violence and abominations of all kind. God calls Israel to be a witness to the nations. His call is found among other places in Isaiah chapter 42 verses 6 and 7. God declares, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Israel did not fulfill its mission, its commission. Instead of being a light to the nations, Israel became like the nations. They indulged in idolatry, in violence, injustice, and abominations of all kinds. There was no difference between Israel and the nations. They took God's calling and election for granted and, and forsook their mission to be a light to the world. They became like the world, so God sent them into the, in exile into the nations. The story of Jonah uh, demonstrates uh, the story of Israel. Israel. Israel wanted God to be compassionate and merciful uh, to Israel in spite of its idolatry, in spite of its immorality, in spite of its injustice, but they did not want God to be merciful to other nations. But in God, we have a God who is a God of all creation, not just God of Israel. God, Jonah's dereliction of his calling was Israel's dereliction of his calling. But God's purposes will not be thwarted, even as we see in Jonah's story, that even through a reluctant prophet, he brings Nineveh to himself. God is the God of Israel, but God is also the God of all nations, even a sinful, rebellious one like Assyria and Nineveh, which was their capital. God does not leave his people in exile. He promises a new covenant through his prophets, whereby he will pour out his spirit on all creation. He will dwell among his people. He will even raise the dead. The New Testament tells us that this new covenant is inaugurated by Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David, in his incarnation, in his death, his life of obedience, in his resurrection, he has inaugurated the new covenant. And when he returns at his father's appointed time, all of the promises of the new covenant will be consummated. Creation will be renewed. God will dwell with his people. That's the prehistory of the church. The church finds itself in continuity with God's promises that goes all the way back to the promise to the uh, the first couple that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus comes as the promised Messiah. Matthew identifies him as the son of Abraham and the son of David. That's how he opens. Uh, when you hear that, you ought to know, oh, God's promises to Abraham are going to be fulfilled. God's promises to David are going to be fulfilled. Mark, Luke, and John go a step ahead of Matthew, and they identify him as the Son of God. God himself is stepping into history to make things right, to draw all people to himself. He begins his ministry by announcing that he has come in fulfillment of God's promise through Isaiah the prophet that the Messiah would come, that he was the Messiah. John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask him if he was indeed the Messiah. Jesus affirmed, answers in the affirmative, pointing him to his works to show that he was indeed the Messiah. His disciples, starting with Peter, by the enablement of the Father, confesses Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And as the promised Messiah, he comes to do the will of his Father, and the will of his Father that he would die for the sins of not just Israel, but sins of all people. And God raised him from the dead. The risen Jesus has authority over all creation, over heaven and earth. And he sends his disciples as the one who possesses such authority 
to all the nations to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded us to do. The disciples are not on their own. This is a monumental task. How will they do that? The Lord himself is with them. Uh, but the Lord promises, the risen Lord Jesus commands them to go and wait till Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them and then they will be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That in Jesus Christ, God is calling all nations to himself. We see the fulfillment of the Father's promise made true through the Son in Acts chapter 2 when the Lord, the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, who is exalted to the Father's right hand, receives from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and pours it on his people and the church is born. We see the establishment of the church. That's the birth of the church. The Spirit of God falls upon Jesus' disciples as promised by Jesus. Peter proclaims Jesus as the Lord of creation, who alone has the power to save. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, verses 32 and 33. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The birth of the church through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is a sign of the exaltation of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to renew all creation, and while we wait for his return, he has commissioned the church. They are to go into all the nations to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the reason the church exists. And we will come to that when we look at the mission of the church. When we look at the book of uh, Acts, the rest of the book of Acts and the epistles, uh, they tell us how the disciples took this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, starting from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, which was the center of earthly power on that day. They were the elect of God, not just for their own benefit, to wait till the Lord returns, but they were sent as the witnesses of the risen Lord to all the nations. The Apostle Peter describes the church in the same terms that the Old Testament describes Israel. In his first epistle in chapter 2, he calls the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice that? There's the privilege. You are the chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. But there's a reason. In order that. Why are we this? In order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his mighty light, uh, into his marvelous light. The church is called to be the people of God so that they in turn may call others to join them. That's the reason why the church exists. The same apostle Peter uh, continues in verse 12 of chapter 2 in his first epistle. Uh, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that although they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Conduct yourselves honorably. They may see your honorable deeds. So our witness is not just limited to our words. Our witness includes how we live. Remember, God saved us by his grace to do those good works that he has prepared for us to do. Those good works are part of our witness that we are indeed the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the church? How does the scripture describe the church? Uh, one person has identified almost 99 images that uh, scripture uses to describe the church can't do all of them this morning. But we will look at uh, three important ones. There are more important ones as well uh, that I'm not going to cover this morning. We can do a whole series of sermons just on the, on, on, on the church. 
the, the Greek term that's used to, uh, for the church is, is the term ekklesia. It's part of it's two Greek words that come together, ek, a preposition meaning out of, and kaleo, uh, a, a verb that means to call. So the church is a people who are called out. It's a general term. It could be used of any assembly, called out for a particular purpose. And so the church is a people who are called out from the world to be a certain kind of people for a certain purpose. But word meanings are not limited to their uh, etymology. They are not only, we are not only a people called out from the world, we are a people called to be together in communion with God and with one another. So we are called out to be together, but that's not the end of the story either. We are people who are called out, and ironically, we are a people who are sent back into that world to tell the world about the mighty deeds of the one who has brought us out of darkness into the kingdom of his Mar the marvelous is the kingdom of his son in marvelous light the scripture shows us uh, that we are a people who are called to be sent that's true of the church that's true of the local church as well we gather so that we may scatter and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord by word and life it is by our proclamation in life and in word, we, we show the world God's created purpose for the world. There are numerous passages that describe scripture, uh, the, describe the church and scripture. We are called the people of God, even as Israel was called the people of God. The same passage from First Peter that we've been looking at after calling the church a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Peter goes on to say, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You are God's people. The church is a people called forth by God through his son, indwelt by his spirit. The title that was previously used of Israel is now used of the church. We are the people of God. This does not mean that the church has replaced Israel, but it does mean that we stand in continuity with Israel as the people of God and yet as distinct as a new entity, even as we heard in the passage that was read for us this morning. The second image that is used of us as a church is that we are the body of Christ. Uh, we use this image quite often. We see this image quite often in, in Paul's letters. The church is the body of which Christ is the head. All who have put their faith in Christ Jesus have been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for one, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There's one body, and everyone who has put their faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit who indwells us has been united to that body. Paul, to the Colossians, he writes, Christ is the head of the body, the church. Well, the identification of the, the church as the body of which Christ is the head tells us that this relationship that we have, God as his people, is only ours because of our relationship with Christ. Apart from the head, the body is uh, not related to God. So it is in Christ that we enjoy all of these blessings, all of these privileges. It's only in union with Christ that we can function as the church, as the body of Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. It is he who is as the head of the church who directs his body, who cares for it. As we read in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16, From Christ the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. The, the body builds itself up in love, but only because it is joined together in its head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called in Christ not only to belong to the head, but belong to one another as the body of Christ. As Romans and 1 Corinthians tells us, we who are many are yet one body. The last description we're going to discuss this morning is, is the church as the new creation. The church stands in continuity with Israel. It's the promises made to uh, Abraham and uh, uh, David, uh, that, that begins to find its fulfillment in the life of the church, and one day all Israel will come to know uh, their Messiah as well. 
But the church is a new creation. It is the, it is the new covenant community. We heard that read in the passage uh, that our brother Omar read this morning. Paul writes to Ephesians that our Lord, through his death and his resurrection, has created a new community that consists of both Jews and Gentiles. That's everybody. Who have been united to him. In verses 14 to 16 of Second Ephesians 2, we read, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, and hear this, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The scriptures, both Old and New Testament, attribute all creative acts to God and God alone. God is the creator. And here, God, is the, create, God the Son is the creator of this new entity called the church, in which in himself he has brought together Jew and Gentile to be one body. It's, as much as we are in Christ, we are a new creation. He has created a new community for himself that no longer has Adam at its, as its head, but is, has Christ as his head. It's a community of Jews and Gentiles united in Christ. He unites in himself not just those who are alienated from God, but those who are alienated from one another. Whatever our differences may be, and there are many, if we are in Christ, we are one in him. We are a new creation. The scriptures go on to tell us what are the characteristics of the church, what are the, what are the identifying marks of the church. You, those of you who are familiar with the Nicene Creed may have heard uh, uh, the summary of these characteristics. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. These are the things that mark the church as the church. Well, let's look at these four. The church is one. That's to speak of the unity of the church. The church is one because it's united to the one Lord, one Christ. We who are many are one body in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul writing to the Ephesians, he writes, There is one body and one spirit, just you as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The Lord Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 tells us that it is our unity that we are, as, we are one as even as he and the Father are one. It is that unity that witnesses to the world that God has sent his Son to redeem the world. This unity is not something we accomplish. It's a gift that is given to us by the Holy Spirit and we are called to preserve the unity. In the same chapter in Ephesians 4, Paul tells us, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is granted to us in Christ. What we are supposed to do is to be eager to maintain the unity, and we have been eager to do exactly the opposite. We have been eager to divide over everything from small minor issues to doctrinal divisions. Whatever our differences may be, if we confess Christ as Lord, in Him we have greater reason to be one than anything that divides us. Well, look around you. You don't see a one church. Uh, I was staying in Hepzibah House on, uh, uh, before I found an apartment. Uh, on Sundays, two congregations met in that one building, one upstairs and the other one in the basement, both worshiping the same Lord. Uh, and you see that across. Why is it that? You know, it, it grieves the Lord. Can we still confess the church as one? Is that still an identifying mark of the church? Well, yes, because the unity of the church is not found in us, but in Christ who is one. It is he who unites us in spite of all our differences. Because we are united in Christ, we are to pursue a visible unity with all who confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's why I love it that Trinity Baptist Church shares their space with us, that we worshiped with them for Christmas Eve. The, the world needs to see churches coming together because our gospel witness depends on that unity. The church is one. The church is holy. That is, it is set apart for Christ. 
for relationship with him to be his witnesses to the world the new testament and the old testament call the people of god to be holy even as our god our father is holy when we look at the church today again holiness may not be the first time first uh, term that comes to mind we are anything but holy in so many different ways but yet we are what scripture says we are we are saints not in us but because we are united to the holy one of god in him we are holy in him we are set apart in him because of him we are dwelt by the holy spirit this positional holiness that we enjoy by virtue of our union with christ and by the indwelling of the holy spirit should urge us to to see that lived out in practical holiness as witnesses for jesus christ so we are sent to the world we are to be in the world but our witness to the world is not by becoming like the world but being distinct from the world that's how god tells the word that there, there's another way to live life that's according to god's purpose the church is holy thirdly the church is universal or catholic that's what the small c catholic means the capital c catholic uh, is to the denomination of the roman catholic uh, catholic church but the small c catholic means the church is universal there's only one church wherever it is it's a worldwide reality we are people from everywhere who call upon the name of the one lord jesus christ paul writes to the the colossians that the gospel they believed in was bearing fruit throughout the world whatever divides us geography ethnicity language culture social status whatever factor whatever divides us does not divide the church there's one holy catholic church the universal church the church is one church the one body of christ of which he is the head and finally the church is apostolic it is founded on the teachings of the apostles who were sent by christ paul writes to the corinthians that the gospel that he preached and that they believed was one that he had received he instructs timothy to follow what he has learned from him and to pass that on to other believers who will be able to teach others as well the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets of which christ jesus himself is the cornerstone the church is the church as long as it continues in the teaching of the apostles and we can entrust that teaching that we have received to the generations that are to come we are not called to invent something new the message that jesus christ is lord needs to be proclaimed every to every generation but it is that same generation it is the same message he is the lord yesterday today and forever so we see in the characteristics of the church but what does the church do you know what are the activities of the church it's interesting that right after the uh, the spirit is poured out and and uh, peter preaches his uh, sermon or gives reason uh, for what these people have seen for the hope that they have uh, the next thing that scripture does is to describe what the church does we read that in acts chapter 2 verses 36 to 47 it's a long passage bear with me uh, now when they heard this that the jews who are assembled to hear peter uh, they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do and peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and these people we are told from verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, pro the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved there's a number of things that the church does 
the newly instituted church by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we can group these into four main categories. First of all, the church is involved in proclamation. Uh, we are told that the church is involved in proclamation both evangelistically to those who have not believed in Jesus Christ, but also in equipping those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter, in verse 37 and following, he calls the unbelieving Jews to repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. The church still proclaims that same evangelistic message. Repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you may be saved because there is no other name under heaven that we can call upon by which we may be saved. We proclaim that same name. It is true still that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. The church's proclamation includes instruction of believers. We read in that passage that the first Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The great commission of our Lord includes the command to teach people to obey all that he has commanded us. Sound teaching that is lived out in obedience is foundational to the life of the church. A primary function of the church, what we do is to proclaim the word of the Lord, both evangelistically and for the instruction of believers. The second thing we see in that passage is the church is a worshiping church. We see the language of worship all over that passage. Awe came upon them. They were praising God. There was baptism. There was breaking of bread. They were at the temple. And they were the temple because God himself dwelt in them by his spirit. The worship extended beyond their gathering to all they did. We see from the epistles that the worship of the early church included um, singing, the reading of scriptures, the adoration of the triune God. The church is a worshiping church. Thirdly, the church, we are told, they enjoyed fellowship. We are told they not only devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, Calvary is known as a, a teaching church. I'm glad that in the last several years, we also moved to a, toward a church that's a loving church. We love one another. Uh, we, we long to be one in, with each other. So those of you who are online, we, we love you. We want you to be with us. So come on. Uh, it's safe here in Hunter College, and we're all praying that even the restrictions that are here would come down. So come so that we may be in fellowship with one another. They ate together, they shared their possessions, and they did all of that with glad and sincere hearts towards one another. The word that is translated as fellowship is, a, is the word koinonia. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that conveys a, a deep sense of intimacy with one another, not just, you know, tea and cookies. Uh, that's not the kind of fellowship that Scripture speaks of. We have fellowship with one another. Why? Because we are united to one another through our union with Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the people of God. Finally, we are told that they devoted themselves to prayer. They were fervent in prayer. The church is a household of prayer. We, as you read through the book of Acts, we see the church praying in all circumstances. They were persecuted, they prayed. In choosing the first deacons in Acts chapter 6, they prayed. In setting aside Paul and Barnabas to the Gentile ministry, they prayed. When Paul and Silas were thrown in prison, they prayed. When they appointed leaders, they prayed. Prayer was their lifeline because in prayer, they had fellowship with the God himself, the triune God, the Father who was for them, the Son who was their advocate and who interceded for them, and the Spirit who interceded for them and they themselves did not have words to, to, to speak. These are the activities of the church. Uh, if, if we are gathering, uh, these ought to be found in us. But we come to the most important question, why are we here? Why are we here? It is, what is the mission of the church? We don't get to decide. Uh, it is, the church is, belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head. He directs the purpose of the church. And there's one purpose for which we exist, and that is to be on mission. Let's look at three passages that, uh, that speak of our mission. In John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, the ascended Lord says to his disciples, not the ascended Lord, the risen Lord speaks to his disciples who are gathered. He says, uh, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
God so loved the world that he sent his beloved son. His beloved son who came and gave his life as a ransom for many, who died for us, who God raised from the dead, sends his disciples into that world that the Father loves, to which we are called to proclaim that message. He says, and he's, uh, we re keep reading in verse 22, he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold, the, withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Our mission is to go proclaim the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord. In that proclamation, the Holy Spirit works through us and calls people to faith in the Lord Jesus. When they respond in faith, their sins are forgiven. They join the people of God. When they reject that message, uh, their sins remain and in, 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 they continue to face the judgment of God because they rejected the only one in whose name they may be saved. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus came to them. Again, the resurrection, after the resurrection, we're going to look at this passage in greater detail on Easter Sunday because it's an Easter passage. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's why we are commissioned. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. The church has a mission is to go make disciples of all nations by preaching the gospel to them. And when they believe, baptizing them in the name, in the one name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded them to do. Well, what has Jesus commanded them to do? If you look at, this is happens in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. If you go back to Matthew 5, starting there, there are five long sermons that Jesus preaches. That's where we go to find out what is it that Jesus has commanded us to do. This morning, I, I forget who it was, I think it was Deborah Parchment who was telling me that uh, Jesus says things like, if you have two quotes, give one. Um, those are things that are included in all that I have commanded, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you to do. So the church's witness includes the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord, but living in obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord and inviting others to that same obedience. And finally, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus again before his ascension tells his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. The salvation that he has accomplished extends to the ends of the earth. And therefore, the church is on mission to proclaim that salvation to the ends of the earth. The Father sent the Son to redeem the world. The Son sends his church to proclaim that redemption to the ends of the earth because the ends of the earth, the, to the ends of the earth, people are lost. That song, Joy to the World, is still my favorite because it tells us that because of Jesus, uh, the blessings will extend as far as the curse is found, as people come to faith in Jesus Christ and the curse is removed in him because he has taken it away on the cross. The church is the church on mission. The church, someone said, does not have a mission. The church is the mission of God sent by the Son into the world. So we need to ask ourselves, uh, you know, we have a council of mission. Maybe our elders should be called the Council of Missions. I'm not trying to, <laughs> to create any uh, trouble here. But because if the church exists for mission, that's what we should be doing. And everything we do should be centered around that, proclaiming Jesus Christ our, as Lord. And that's what we do as Calvary. We call that mission that Jesus has given to us as engaging the city, the city in which we live, New York City. And through that, impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. And we do that by gathering and scattering. We gather to be equipped for that mission. We scatter to fulfill that mission. We gather for worship. Worship includes praise and confession and uh, assurance of forgiveness and prayer and intercession, uh, thanksgiving, uh, baptism, uh, the Lord's Supper, giving, benediction, all of these are elements of worship. Uh, we're going to see next week, these are the, the acts through which God forms us. And we are worshiping the God who is present with us. In worship, we enter into the very presence of God. He's present not only to receive our worship, but He's the one who empowers our worship. 
He is the one who has qualified us as worshipers of Christ through our redemption that is in Jesus Christ. In worship, we gather together as the people of God who proclaim the mighty deeds that he has done for us. We urge you this morning, uh, if, if you are not with us, and if you're local, come and join us. The church gathered for, for worship is a powerful image of what God has done and God will be doing for this whole world when all creation will worship our Lord. We also gather for discipleship. A disciple is a learner. We learn together. When the church gathers, us, we, we, uh, we, we learn through the reading of scriptures, through our prayers, they are instructive, uh, through the sermon. But we also learn in small groups. So if you are not a member of a small group, a small group I urge you to talk to our Pastor Sean, who is uh, directing our small groups. We, he will get you connected to one. I, I met a young man this morning who said he wanted to be connected to a small group, and we were able to point him to Pastor Sean. So if you're not connected to a small group, that's a great way of being gathered with God's people beyond Sunday morning. We gather for fellowship, to care for one another, to meet one another's needs, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to rejoice in what God is doing in one another's lives, to spur one another on in love and in good deeds. We gather for service. The Lord Jesus Christ has given each and every member of the body a gift through His Spirit. So each one of us have at least one gift. And many of us more, have more than that. And the gifts are given to us, not for our own benefit, but for the common good. We are given the gifts of the Spirit so that with those gifts we may build up the body of Christ. We may build up one another. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's Word tells us He has gifted you and has given you as a gift to the church so that through these gifts we may equip one another to be the body of Christ. If all of us are not using our gifts to serve one another, uh, the church is not healthy. We are called to serve the body and we have many opportunities we have. If you go to our website, there's a tab called Connect. If you look at the Connect tab, there are various opportunities that, uh, for us to connect with one another, uh, small groups, various ministries that take place, what age, whatever age group that you're in, uh, or other kind of demographic. Uh, we have opportunities for you to gather with, with people, to worship, to fellowship, to be discipled. But the church is not only called to serve the body, but the church is called to serve as the body. So those of us, as we gather, as we are instructed, as we fellowship, as we are encouraged, we are sent into the world to proclaim Jesus Christ our Lord. Our, our Lord Jesus calls us to be his witnesses both corporately and individually. We call this corporate witness uh, outreach. We have outreach programs for uh, project-based outreaches, our evangelistic outreaches, service outreaches. All of this are to make Christ known. All of this is to give a taste to the world that God is redeeming the world in Christ Jesus and He is going to renew all creation. And when that happens, when God's kingdom has come in its fullness, the world will be rescued from its brokenness. And a foretaste of that is already given in the life of the church. And we take that taste of the world in our outreach. We are working on a new ministry initiative uh, to the, to the children of this city through an arts program. Uh, we're still in a discussion stage. Pray for us. And uh, we may call on you to join us. God has gifted you and, 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 and you have a place in, in, in that type of a ministry. We also serve as individuals in, in various spheres of influences that God has placed us. Whether that's your workplace or your home or your community, we are, we are called to live to the glory of God in all things, even mundane things like eating and drinking. We ought to do it in such a way that God is glorified and honored in our lives. We're, we are called to live such lives before people that they will see our good deeds and praise and glorify our Heavenly Father. Again, if we go to our website, there's a, there's a tab called Serve. In the Serve tab, you will see opportunities to serve in outreach, to serve in mission, and also to serve right here in Hunter College. There are so many needs here, from setting up to take down and running our projectors and our uh, electronic uh, our equipment here. There are so many different opportunities. Go to that, that, that tab, Serve tab, and it'll be... Uh, continuously populated with new opportunities that are made available for you. Uh, 
So we need you. Come and serve with us and come and serve alongside of us as we reach out to the world. This morning, we are going to respond to this message uh, with a well-known hymn, The Church's One Foundation. I love that hymn. Why? Because it is truthful about the current state of the church. But it is also hopeful because the one who is the Lord of the church is the one who gives us hope. It echoes the words of hope concerning the church that we find in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The future is bright for us, my brothers and sisters, because our head, our Lord, will accomplish it. He will present the church to himself as perfectly one, perfectly holy, perfectly Catholic, and perfectly apostolic. He who testifies to these things, he says, surely, I'm coming soon. And we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, what a glorious privilege that we have. We are called the body of Christ, the people of God, a new creation. And you called us to proclaim this that you have done for us to the rest of the world, that uh, what we have experienced, they too can by putting their faith in the Lord Jesus. Help us to be faithful to that mission in everything we do, so that the world may know that the Lord Jesus Christ has come. We thank you that we are not alone in this, that you are with us, Lord Jesus. Your Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us. Help us to live to the glory of our triune God in all that we do as a church, for we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.